0: quick message before we start this podcast and how to start and grow your own podcast comes on the launch day of on deck podcast fellowship so if you're interested in learning how to start or grow a podcast of your own in a community of peers and great guest speakers professionals who've done it before check out beyond to learn more okay let's hear from david sachet and jeff hey everybody it's eric torrenberg co-founder partner Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today joined by three very special guests. We have David Perel, we have Jeff Umbro, we have Sachit Gupta, all of you uh, have made podcasts, are in the business of a podcast more broadly, and we're here today to talk about why people should have a podcast, the how, how to get one off the ground, how to grow it. David, I, I want to start with you. Now, and of course, you're running Rite of Passage, and that, that's your business, but you've also run this podcast, North Star, for a few years now. I've been a big fan of it. But let's talk about the inspiration phase. Why should people start a podcast? What have you gotten out of starting your podcast, and how do you recommend people think about it?
1: Yeah. So I started a podcast out of sheer desperation in the least sexy way possible. I was interning in New York back when I was a college student, and I wanted to go meet all these cool people. I'd look at all these tall buildings that looked like they towered up to the heavens. They looked like they were so tall, they would crash into the airplane soaring above them. And I was wanting to meet meet people and I'd email people and be like, hey, want to have lunch? Want to get coffee? No response. And I'm like this hungry 18-year-old guy. And I'm like, I'm going to try something. I'm going to start a podcast. So then I reached out to people. It's like, hey, can I interview you? Sure. Here is an entire block of time in the afternoon. And rather than going to you for lunch or coffee, you can come to my office. I will reserve the corner office for you. And this was before podcasts were really popular. And I was just like, wait, this is a serious competitive advantage. This is something no one else knows about. And so that's what I did.
0: Yeah, podcast is an amazing way to to, to build a network. What advice would you give to people who feel like it's too intimidating to to send emails to these people? Or what's the best way to craft it such that they're likely to get a positive response? Because the people you're interviewing, I'm sure also get a bunch of other podcast requests too. So how do you separate different from the noise? So
1: you want to send a very personalized cold email, and you want to do that by not by saying I have read all your stuff or stuff like that. You want to say something like when I reached out to Nick Kakonis, who runs Alinea, which is one of the top graded restaurants in the world, I said, hey, I know that you were an options trader, and now you're working in the restaurant industry. I would like to talk to you about the work of Richard Thaler and Nassim Taleb, who I know that you're really interested in. Also, I'm a big golfer just like you, and I would like to talk about how you've applied your interest in golf to the restaurant industry. So what I did was I went super specific on what I wanted to talk about, And I had also listened to his other podcasts and I knew that he hadn't spoken about those things before. And then also... If you're just getting started out, maybe you can offer to do a little extra hustling. You can say, hey, I'll do a transcript for you. I'll chop up some of the videos so that you can have them on YouTube. And I'm pretty confident that this is a conversation that will be so good and so true to the ways in which you're skilled, the things that you want to say to the world that you haven't gotten a chance to say before. And I will help you spread your message. And if you can do that, you can communicate that you're young and you're hungry and you're curious and do it in a way that is very clearly focused on the other person done in a way that's personal. You'll have
0: tremendous success. Sacha, what, what may you add to that? You, you've worked with some of the biggest uh, n- names in podcasting and then went out to, to start, start one yourself.
2: Yeah, I think um, one of the things that David mentioned, um, podcasting is a way to basically learn about any topic that you want and talk to the biggest experts. And I think that's one of the reasons why people should start a podcast. I think one thing that's interesting also from a marketing perspective, um, Seth Godin has this quote, which is people get writer's block or talk about getting writer's block. No one gets talker's block, right? And it's just such an easy way to create content that you can then parlay into like all forms of like different content, like YouTube, writing, all these different things. Um, I've also worked with a lot of podcasters that are just starting out. I think two things that trip people up mostly is one is this idea of People think that they have to find their voice before they start podcasting. And like the thing I discovered for myself was you don't start with the voice and then go start podcasting. You start podcasting and through the process, that's how you discover your voice. And I think another thing that people are like really afraid of is they're not afraid of starting. They're afraid of being seen starting really small. And like one of the things that you can do, like if you look at like any creator that you admire, like go back and look at their early work everyone started small, like their first videos have like seven views or 10 views. And it's just like, that's the creator's journey that like you grow, grow like slowly. And I think it's important to remember that.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I, w- one tip I like to give to people is because they feel like when they start a podcast, it's like a lifelong commitment to finish, to, to just do this podcast forever is, is maybe do a season, maybe do 10 episodes. It's a season. You see how you enjoy it. If you like it, just, just, just keep, keep continuing. But just to add to your points, having a podcast is, Changed my life. It's allowed me to, you know, meet so so many great people in the co- in the context of a one way conversation when normally that, that wouldn't be uh as, as appropriate in a way that gives them value, and it's also just allowed me to make so many friends from people who listen to my podcast and and really resonate with the types of conversations I have, and and when we when we meet the first time they feel like they know me really well because they've sort of seen me sort of think aloud in, in a collective process. So, Jeff you run the podglomerate, which produces a bunch of podcasts, which services a bunch of podcasts, which is over, overall podcast media company. What do you see as some of the biggest bottlenecks uh, that prevent people from, from getting started? And, and what advice do you uh, do you give them?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that question is going to be determined by like who's trying to start the podcast, you know, whether it's an organization, an individual, uh, somebody who's trying to do it for fun or if somebody has like a greater mission in mind. But a lot of times people are like kind of prevented from starting something because they have these like big broad goals and they don't necessarily know how to reach them. So I think that, you know, you should just immediately come up with like, why are you starting this thing and what are you trying to get out of it? And then try and like work backwards from there. So I think that some of the bottlenecks that you run into are, you know, time resources. Everybody has like kind of a a different goal here. You know, I, I think it's just a matter of figuring out what that is first, and then going backwards.
0: Totally, David. What do you think is sort of the for people who sort of look at like, oh, equipment that's intimidating, or oh, editing that's intimidating, or what sort of the bare bones setup? Uh, like, how do you think about editing, or or how do you get help get people started?
1: Yeah, what I would focus on is actually one of my biggest regrets of the podcast is not investing in audio equipment earlier. People can forget bad video. They can't forget bad audio. And it took me years to learn that lesson. And so if I can just convince you here to get audio that is very good, you don't need to get the best microphone in the world, but get good audio quality. Do it, do it, do it. Please do not make the same mistake I did. It is might be my biggest regret of my career so far because of all the conversations I had. So I interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like seventh episode ever. Okay. And I walk into his office and I'm 21 years old. And this day was like nothing I ever expected. I walk in to sit down, I get an hour and a half with arguably the most famous astrophysicist in the world. And I had a cheap microphone that I had six feet away from me. So I had to use the hit the same microphone for both audio tracks. It was humiliating. The podcast did not turn out well, and I'm really bummed about it. So so please do yourself a favor and get good audio. Now, if you should optimize there, one of the things is that now is a great time to start a podcast because they're so easy to record over Zoom. And when I was recording, I was like every single one in New York City. So I'd go around with all my stuff through New York. I had my stuff stolen on the subway. And so it was so stressful. My cortisol levels would be to the sky all day. And now I'm recording on Zoom and it's way more fun. It's way easier. It works just as well. So where you got to optimize on the audio equipment, because just people cannot put up with bad audio. You don't need to be so crazy about driving and taking the subway and walking with tons of equipment to go meet people.
0: And do you outsource the editing or do you do it yourself?
1: I do outsource the editing. We have an insane production system. So I record every episode. I fill out a Notion page that takes me about 30 minutes. And now we finally figured out a system that from that Notion page, we have the podcast edited. I have a whole style guide. Then It is uploaded on my website, full transcript created, a series of YouTube videos that are created, uh, email that goes out on Wednesdays about every single episode. And we have figured out now how to get the most amount of total content from recording the podcast and then 30 minutes of post-production and Notion. And I'll be publishing a guide to that entire process, open sourcing with templates and everything for free, just because I want to help people.
0: Love it. That's what that's what peak, peak performance looks like. Uh, David, wh- what's your advice on how to think about choosing a niche for your podcast? A lot of people, are like, okay, I- I'm going to start one, but how do I you know, separate myself from all the other podcasts out there? How should I think about how narrow versus general? What's your sort of ge- advice there?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. So I think that the niche for a podcast is not quite as important in terms of interests because personality is such a thing. Like everyone has such a distinct personality and there are so many different hues and shades of podcasts that work. You know, you have Rogan who invites people in and he just sort of hangs out with people for a couple hours and people love that. And then you have other podcasts that, you know, I don't know why more people don't do this. Do like a, 15 part podcast that's just you talking about 15 things that you believe about the world type it out get a good outline just go boom 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 then any job you apply for anyone you meet any sort of background you just say hey here's an hour and a half worth of podcasts and they're just a bunch of short episodes you can do what you want and i thought that saheed said a great thing earlier about finding your voice look it's a co-dynamic process. You start with a personality, then your personality builds, then your personality builds, it then changes your personality. And, you know, you begin to think, okay, who would I want to be? But having a niche will develop. And I think that it depends on a lot of factors. You know, there's sort of implicit niches and explicit niches. So like an implicit niche would be your personality, would be a style of asking questions. And those work just as well as more explicit ones. You know, there's a podcast called You Need a Budget. And it is from a company called, guess what? You Need a Budget. And guess what they talk about? Budgeting. And it's just all the things that you need to know about budgeting. The number of ways to succeed, with a podcast is as wide as the number of ways to succeed in life.
0: Totally. How have you improved at, at asking questions or at asking better questions? Or what, what have you learned over time about?
1: Yeah. Uh, so here's a juicy one, Eric. So I came up with this last week. So people are very averse to talking about what they do. Well, it is socially not acceptable to say I am extremely good at this. And knowing this, people give terrible answers when you ask about the things that they do. So for example, Eric, if I were to ask you, hey, you know, how do you, how are you, how do you learn so much? You might, you know, you might say something along the lines of, oh, I record a podcast, something like that. But like, I would be very curious, you know, like you might say, look, nobody else does full tweet storms of every single book that they read. And like I read on Liberty by John Stuart Mill and I gave a full tweet storm with my reactions then how it related to Silicon Valley. And look, I just work harder than most people. And like, I can say that, but you would never say that on a podcast. So here's, those are the answers that you want to get. So here's how you game it. So what you got to do is you got to ask super specific questions. And what specific questions do is they remove the taboo of talking about the ways in which you're excellent. And if you can do that, then you end up getting some really good answers. Now, there's some nuance. The thing, and this is the art of podcasting, is asking a specific question that doesn't lead to a dead end, but that actually continues to create momentum. And that is extremely difficult to do.
0: I remember the guy from Gimlet, Alex Bloomberg, He's, he's, he gave this uh, talk, and he said his, his favorite question. One asking great questions. A lot of it is just the follow up questions, and his favorite follow up question was, "Say more about that." Uh, so, uh, uh, totally to to, to, your, to your point, Jeff. Uh, well, and also actually, David, I just want to harp. On, I think this is such a good idea. I would love to see more people do it. I'm curious if you have seen. You, you tweeted a while ago about this idea about internal company podcasts. We're actually going to experiment with it at, at On Deck. I'm curious if you've seen more people do it, but I I think just such a great opportunity to for a company to tell its story and for people to just easily uh, sort of imbibe it on, on their own time and feel more connected to it.
1: Yeah. I don't know why more companies don't do it. I mean, I feel like we're now about to reach some kind of phase transition in company communications with remote work. And this seems like a fairly obvious thing to do. I don't know what the numbers are of people who work from home listening to podcasts. I think that this works exceptionally well for people who commute, but just talking to my friends who actually work at companies, there seems to be a tremendous amount of inefficiency and time that just goes into alignment, and it's worth thinking about how you can reduce all that effort.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. One of the best examples of that, actually, I think, is Netflix. Um, they have this podcast called Be Our Netflix, which started as an internal podcast, and then they release it to everyone, and apparently now it's one of their biggest recruiting channels.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's a, a lot of companies who are helping businesses try and do this. Uh, you know, Wonder Media Network comes to mind. They're like a, a really great company out of uh New York. And basically they'll partner with a lot of uh like big organizations and they'll work with their like specific teams looking for like a certain goal, whether it's a marketing team or like the internal uh you know, HR teams or something and they'll really you know sit down and you know they both produce things that are quick and dirty like you know here's the information that we have to get out to our st- to our staff this could be an email but we want to make it more personable so we want to like put a voice behind it or like this is something that's a little bit more produced that really is something that's evergreen that we can use for our staff for years to come that tells you know the company story the company ethics like what we really want to get across and i think that a lot more companies are really starting to get more comfortable doing things like this Whereas in the past, you know, maybe they thought of podcasting as like a novelty as opposed to a tool. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that in the future.
0: Totally. Jeff, why don't you transition a little bit into how people think about uh, maximizing their launch for, for a podcast and then think about how, how to, how to grow it fr- from there. So they have a concept, they have a niche, they have a few guests. What's the best way to, to launch a podcast to to maximize for distribution? Sure. So,
3: I, I like to think... I mean, Eric knows I come from the book publicity world. Uh, so I like to think of a podcast launch the same way that you would any other media property, television show, movie, book. Personally, I, I use a five-tier approach. And, and this is a service that we offer at The Podglomerate. But we focus on kind of telling the story of what we're trying to get out in the world. Uh, whether that is through you know publicity, trying to get reviews of the show, interviews with the team behind the show, getting the show listed in like various uh platforms that are going to say you know best science podcast or best test text sorry best tech podcast or something like that uh or marketing which is using your own owned internal channels whether that be you know your web platform and app email newsletters social media to tell the story of what you're trying to do in the world Uh, and you can do that through you know materials that you create internally uh, a synopsis document for the the show, a pitch letter, a press release. Uh, there's a lot of different kind of ways that you can approach that. And you should also be, you know, as, as Sachi and David mentioned before, you know, you should be looking at kind of creating various forms of content to try and get that message out. Uh, it doesn't always have to be just like a text document. It can be some kind of social media, uh, you know, property or asset that you're putting out. It could be visual. It could be audio. It could be text then in addition there's cross promotion and retailer merchandising these are honestly two of the most effective ways to get your message out there when you're trying to promote a show especially if you don't really have an existing platform elsewhere because most of the time people who are you know listening to podcasts or looking at like the discovery uh sections of stitcher or apple or something they don't have the barrier of having to learn how to listen to a podcast uh that's not something that is still you know Like totally relevant uh, today. You know, there's over 100 million people in America alone that are listening to podcasts at least once a week. Uh, But there are still a lot of people, two thirds of the country, who who don't listen to podcasts and who don't who might not necessarily know how. So you kind of remove one of those barriers to entry if you're you know advertising the show, uh, you know through an audio ad, through a guest opportunity, through a feed drop, uh, or getting you know your show featured within these apps where people are already looking. Uh, for their next podcast and they already know how to listen. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to go about doing that, uh, which we could get into later if you'd like. Um, and then finally, you know, there's a, like always paid opportunities. Basically, if you can't find your way into these platforms organically, and if you have the resources, then you can buy your way into them. So yeah.
0: on a higher level, what's going to be the onboarding mechanism for the people who aren't exposed to podcasts yet? Like what do you think is the best bang for the buck in terms of getting those people listening to podcasts? How do we expand the pie?
3: Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Uh, Honestly, it's funny because you look at like somebody like Luminary who launched last year with a paid podcast subscription model. uh, They were buying billboards all over the country. And we're actually seeing a lot more people doing stuff like swag bags or billboards or newspaper ads, um, just trying to like kind of get the property out there. Obviously, there's, you know, a decade of marketing uh, materials all over the web that will tell you like what not to do because you can't really track attribution for stuff like this. But uh, I think there's just a lot of experimentation that's going on. Like, Wondery is doing stuff all the time where they're throwing listening parties for new launches. So they're actually going and, uh, you know, like, filling up, like, movie theaters with people who put masks on and listen to their new show. Uh, I think that there's a lot of, like, really clever ways that people are going about it.
0: Yeah. Sacha, you launched a podcast in the last year and got to uh, the, the, the top of the charts relatively quickly. What lessons are generalizable for, from your experience?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so I launched in December. And um, for context, um, and this was completely unexpected, but within 30 days at our height, we were the number, number 25 podcast in all of iTunes. And so when I looked at like how to really like hack the growth, right? Um, one of the things we realized was if you look at iTunes and the algorithm, it cares more about the rate of growth than actual growth. So if a podcast that is just starting out gets a thousand downloads versus an existing podcast with a hundred thousand downloads gets another thousand downloads, the rate of growth for a new one is way more. So we looked at all these different channels like social media, other podcasts and all of this. And really, like, I think the three things that work is one, being a guest on other podcasts. two is getting newsletters to promote your podcast so one of the things we found was if someone is promoting your podcast on social media it really like it's a huge jump for someone to go from there to like a podcast player, so they won't really do it but if it's a newsletter for some reason like that works better and the third thing we really like just like crushed it on was like paid media and instead of buying ads on facebook or or google we found all of these like networks with publishers so like if people went to like blogs and stuff they saw ads for the podcast that directed them directly to the podcast player and that just crushed it. And those were the sort of like the three like main things that worked, the the 80-20 of growth. What kind of newsletters worked particularly well for you? You you want to find newsletters that like already have an audience that like is interested in podcasts. We did very few because we were just starting out. But if I had started with a bigger budget, like I would look at like Morning Brew, um, Hot Pod, or, pod, or, or newsletters about podcasts. And really like what we were trying to do was create sort of this like initial frenzy and story that um, if we had more resources that could then be like parlayed into PR to create this like perception of like a huge launch.
3: Yeah, that's the, the best way to do it is to kind of build up that snowball effect. I love hearing that.
0: Yeah. How about distribution well after you, you, you've you launched? How do how should people think about growing their podcasts? What, what frameworks should they sort of use to evaluate that separate, you know, in contrast to think about growing a newsletter over time or or things like that.
2: Yeah, I I think one of the things to like um, understand is that unless you're an outlier and there are a few outliers, most audience growth happens slowly and organically. And so things, and and usually what happens is like for most publishers, you find, you try a bunch of different things, find one or two channels that work. And then like what you want to do is like, instead of like looking for more channels, double down on that. I think uh, um, Austin of Morning Brew posted a great thread recently where he talked about um, there were literally like two parts, two channels that like contributed to growth of Morning Brew. And like it worked for them and they just doubled down on them, right? I think that one of the mistakes people make is like trying too many things. And really like what you want to do is like double down on one or two that work. And the second thing is figure out a way to monetize as fast as possible. Because once you start monetizing, uh, you can take that money and put that back into paid media and really like create that virtuous circle that grows an audience.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the big pieces that uh, really does help to kind of continue the growth, I agree with everything Sajid said, but I think that like you should be really looking at all kinds of different angles, like the, the publicity angles of certain topics or guests that you're going to cover down the line. Presumably the show's going to either like double down on the specific topics that are relevant to the listeners or, you know, they're going to expand and grow so you always have these opportunities to kind of go back to the, to the reservoir and the pool. Uh, we had a show that launched a new season that like very slightly changed the topic. We were able to get a lot of press that came from that, um, which we were then able to like take to like the app platforms and say, Hey, check out what the AV club wrote or the New York times wrote about the show. Like this is something that you can kind of like really use to your advantage. Beyond that, I think there's a lot of like paid media that, if you have the resources to, to work with, you know, really are worth going back to if they work, because, you know, the podcast pie is growing every every day, every week, every year. And then there's also, you know, just because you were exposed to like, you know, X number of impressions on a platform doesn't mean that you uh, were exposed to like everybody who's listening. So I think that, you know, the same platform might, you know, yield different audiences every time
0: you're on there. Yeah. Let's transition into monetization. Sasha, what are sort of the levers of monetization and what's your advice? And you've worked some of the biggest podcasting names on this. What lessons do you have for the audience?
2: Yeah. So there's this whole debate right now on Twitter about should people do sponsorships or not? I always look at monetization as sort of like two frameworks. One is deciding whether you want to go really high end or low end. So there's people who sell like $49 courses and then there's podcasters that are selling, $20,000 masterminds. Um, so really like deciding whether you want to charge less or charge more and, and figure out sort of like what's that fastest path to hundred thousand or a million dollars. And based on that, you can do sponsorships, courses, masterminds, retreats, um, consulting, and, and just, just sort of, sort of like, uh, and I think the other thing that people look at is like whether you're monetizing the podcast directly, which is through ads or indirectly, directly, which is um, I think a good example is, 2 p.m. where he's parlayed his audience into more high leverage consulting that pays much more than a twenty dollar course would.
0: Totally, Jeff. What are your what's your sort of frameworks for thinking about monetization and how you recommend people think about it?
2: So
3: I, it's funny. I, I always go back to Mark Andreessen's tweet storm from a few years ago where he talks about like the eight ways you can make money in media. and almost all of them, apply to podcasting. I, I, I won't go into all of them because that's a, a much longer conversation. But generally, uh, we look at premium content, selling premium subscriptions to our feeds that are either ad free or has bonus content or, or something like that, which is actually a lot harder to do than you would think. You know, a lot of people kind of use the whole "if you build it, they will come" approach, but that's just not true. Uh, you guys know, uh, you know, with some of your newsletter offerings and stuff, but you really have to like entice the audience and 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 give them something of value if they're going to be paying for like pr- a premium feed. With the ad marketplace, it's a really interesting approach because the people who are buying ads on podcasts are really looking at this as, as they would like any other math problem. You know, what are they putting into this and what are they getting out of it? With a lot of our shows, uh, you know we're able to get just a couple advertisers that will continue to renew forever because it works. It's the same you know process that you were, we were just talking about. like if it works, go back to the well. Uh, and then there's a lot of others who you know might not get the conversion rate that they were looking for, or maybe it was just like a, a more timely approach or promotion that they were pushing, and for whatever reason they don't renew. So it's just like it becomes kind of a a system where you have to just continuously pitch the product. So everybody's a little bit different. It's really going to be you know valuable for some people and not for others to try and, and run that approach. Um, I think a lot of podcasters are coming into this into like the marketplace looking to sell ads. And and I think that there's just a lot of other ways to go about it. The reason that I got into podcasting initially was because I was working at a book publicity firm. So I started interviewing authors and used that as like a a platform to try and bring in new clients and get commissions. So I think that there's a lot of people who can be looking at this as kind of building their own platform for thought leadership, their own platform for for new business and i just think that there's there's a lot to be said about you know widening the scope of of why you would be creating something and and how you're trying to monetize it.
0: Yeah. Uh, D- David, how have you thought about whether the podcast is a loss leader versus trying to make it sustainable or you know profitable versus you know really going all out on it?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. Well, for me, right of passage is Where almost all of my income comes from. And Rite of Passage is a five-week course teaching people how to write online. So it is writing instruction paired with audience growth and community. And that has been my focus. And I've seen a lot of people join Rite of Passage. About 15% of people join Rite of Passage because they like the podcast. And that's the thing that tipped them over. It also appeals to an audience that I really like, and particular middle-aged women who are some of our best students. They tend to like the podcast the most. So in order to get more of them in the course, I have continued the podcast. But I've thought about other monetization streams. I have gone back and forth on the morality of advertising and just buying attention. I, I just... There's something about that that really turns me off, and that's why I don't think I would sell advertisements. But the reason that I would would be that in the trade-off between assuming that I believe in what I do and I really do is that those advertisements can then fuel the flywheel and contribute better conversations to the world and that that outweighs the downside of advertisements. And then also you're seeing a move towards towards subscriptions. And Tim Ferriss launched a subscription, very clearly did not do a good job with it and did it in a way that was just removing ads and asking for donations. And I think that hit a lot of the podcast industry hard, but I think that there's few things more dangerous in life than taking the wrong lessons from a postmortem. And I worry that that's what we did with podcasts here. You've seen people like Peter Artia and Rhonda Patrick and Sam Harris doing phenomenally well with a podcast subscription. And that's something I've thought about. Yeah. And
0: and two unrelated questions, but look at the past and look at the future besides the audio setup, David, if you can go back to, you know, your 18 year old, 19 year old self, you're, you're getting this podcast off the ground and give yourself advice as to what you might have done a little bit differently in the podcast? What might you tell yourself? And then going forward, just how do you think about where, where you want to take North Star where you want it to be? Or maybe more of the same?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I would remind people is that your podcasts don't exist in isolation. You have a weird experience when you go on a lot of podcasts at how similar the questions that people ask you are. And it is quite boring actually to be interviewed by a lot of people. And it's also just boring to the listener because look, it's not even good for the interviewer. It's not good for anybody because as a guest, you can't really recommend it in full faith and say, hey, this is the eighth time I've told my life story on a podcast. Whereas a conversation like this, I've never actually spoken about what I think about the podcast in public before. So now I can promote this and share it in a way that says, Hey, there's a ton of new stuff here. So what I always do is I listen to other podcasts that my guests have been on. And I say, what are the things that I'm interested in that this guest has never spoken about before? Because every guest, whether it's a YouTube video or a podcast is just a Google search away. And you're just trying to add to the constellation of conversations that that person has had. And I don't think a lot of podcasters really realize that.
0: Uh, one of my greatest uh, podcast achievements was when Tyler Cowan tweeted out a link to a podcast I did with him. And in it, he said, all new stuff. All stuff I haven't said before. And obviously, Tyler has you know, said a lot of things. So yeah, I just want to echo that. That's a great point. Sacha, what are some lessons you've learned from your time podcasting in terms of how, you, how you've uh, gotten better as an interviewer or question asker?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so, so one of my favorite quotes is from Sally Hogshead, which is different is better than better. So when I first started, what I was trying to do was take the styles of all the people that I work with and try and create a style. So like take some, something from Tim's, from Jordan's, from Andrew's. What I realized is like you actually have to like find your own style. So we have a very interesting pre-interview process where we ask the guests two questions. What are topics that you usually talk about? And for example, if you've done other podcasts or speaking, what's the 80-20 of what you cover? And I try and like, whatever they talk about there, I try and not talk about that at all because it's the same thing they've done all over, right? The other question I ask them about is, what are topics or things that you're interested in that you feel like you should be asked about that you haven't gotten a chance to explore that? And usually, we'll start the interview with one of those questions because right from the start, you're telling them this is going to be different. The third thing I started doing was, and we don't tell the guests this, we'll try and find like common friends or people we know and go to them, people who've known them for a long time, and ask, what is something that you want to ask him? Because it takes the context of like the relationship that they have and the depth of it, because it gets like deep questions into surface questions. So, just sort of like doing these things like these, we are able to create an interview that's very different from what the guest has already done. So so the biggest lesson is like figure out a way to create something that's different instead of the same thing the guest has been exposed to all over and over again.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I just interviewed Claire Lehman at Quillette and what I did was I went back into her old Goodreads profile from 2011 and 2013, and I saw that she was a big fan of Pride and, Pride and Prejudice and a book called The Custom of the Country. And there were two novels that I thought would be interesting to have a conversation about. And so we started talking about that. And that then allows a very specific kind of conversation to emerge. Another example is I was out with Tyler Cowen in New York City one time and we had just had dinner and we went to go get dessert because I know Tyler loves chocolate ice cream. So we were like, yeah, let's go get chocolate ice cream. So then we went and went and they had small, medium and large. And Tyler was like, I don't want any of them. And the woman who was serving was like, what? And Tyler was like, well, do you have a sample size? So Tyler ordered the sample size of ice cream, but then he graded gave a great answer of why he did this that only an economist would give, that the diminishing marginal returns to ice cream happen very fast. And that once you hit two or three bites of ice cream, you now have the memory of eating ice cream, but you're not gonna gain weight and you're not gonna have the sugar that usually eating ice cream allows you to have. So then when you ask a question, when you interview, you know that's a personal experience, you know it's a super specific story and you know that it's revealing of the person that you're interviewing. And if you can create that, then you open up opportunities for conversation that are distinct and that Show a person's true self. And that's actually the battle of interviewing. We are always trying to posture and present ourselves, in, usually in authentic ways. And if you can pierce through that wall, usually by coming in from the edge, very rarely from asking directionally, directionally you begin to open up avenues of conversation that are not only deeper than what you expected, but actually transcend the plane of conversation that they're used to having as well.
0: Totally. No, I, I love that description. I mean, the best experience for an interviewee going on a podcast is, is is you do the interview and you learn more about yourself or you learn something about yourself that, that you didn't fully appreciate. And a few people do that in different ways. Like Mark Marion or Tyler Cowan will sort of like, tell the person their perception of, of that person. They'll be like, oh, I, know, I That's a really interesting way to describe myself. People describe Terry Gross as if sort of like going to a therapist or something uh, where this person asks questions that, re- in a good way, really dig into your soul. Like, oh, wow, I didn't even sort of think about this is the way in which I, I, I do what I do. And then Nardwar in, in the, the hip hop world, people find sort of similar to what you did, David, he will do research and find the thing that they loved when they were in sixth grade or something. And they will be shocked at how they want, first, how he found that out. And then two, just sort of taken back to a place in their, in their childhood. And all, all, all of those examples just elicit amazing uh, interviews because it, the guest is surprised. And these are famous people who go on podcasts all the time. But sort of surprise and originality and novelty uh, just lets them open up more. Uh,
2: another great thing I love doing is like creating um, tension and contrast. So, for example, let's say like I was interviewing David and I wanted to ask about your journey. I could be like, hey, um, so tell me about right your right rite of passage and how did you go from zero to one? Right. Or if I want to like get to the hard part, also something like, so I've seen your journey from going to zero to one and from outside looking in, it seems like everything was like really easy and just like worked. Is that true? Or were there like times that were really hard? And because like you've sort of like created that contrast, people want to fill that in. You're like, no, 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 it was not really that easy. Like, and then it gets them more likely to like talk about the harder times versus just being like, hey, talk about the hard times. One of the other things that I like to focus on, and this
1: requires some faith. You listen for people's tangents. And if someone is going on a tangent, usually you hear that and you're like, no, 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 stop that. But if someone's going on a tangent, there's a reason why. There's something about their model of the world that they're trying to get to. And part of the art of podcasting is to basically put out your hand as they put out theirs and begin to dance in the rhythm and a tango of what is that tangent? How does it relate? And then gracefully twirl them around through their story and and the music and return to the conversation.
3: I, I love that. And in and- a similar but opposite approach that I've seen is when somebody's about to kind of pause, like they've finished what they're about to say, but you can kind of tell that it's either a canned answer or they're not quite there yet. Just don't say anything. Like don't continue the conversation and, and eventually, you know, they'll keep going.
1: That is so true, Jeff. And what I always grapple with though, is that you also want to maintain conversation momentum in the podcast. And so... Like, the most interesting things in life exist at these paradoxes, that when somebody stops talking on a podcast, they almost always have something to continue saying, and you're right about that. But once you do that too often, you then get to a point that is really awkward, where there isn't this flow that makes conversation beautiful and that makes it rhythmic and that steers at unexpected directions. And so both of those things are true. And mm-hmm. you have to dance between the two edges.
3: Yeah. I, and I would, I would counter that by saying that's what editing is for. But yes, I, I think that both approaches work really well. And I love that.
2: It, it's like the chess game of interviewing,
3: mm-hmm.
2: knowing when to move and when not to move. Exactly. But
1: see, what you just said is crucial. A podcast interview is not a conversation. Even when it looks like a conversation, it is not a conversation. You are creating an experience for a listener. You are trying to educate. You might be trying to entertain, whatever it is. But you don't show up and sit down like you do with your drinking buddies on Saturday night.
2: To add to that, the best ones feel like you've done that. But there's all of that like prep behind that That's no eye. one sees. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's the art. but but, but, like, that's what it is, right?
1: It's like a level of unconscious competence where somebody just looks like they've been doing it so many times. You know this is what comedy is, right? Like if you go, one of the great parts of living living in New York is you get to go see a bunch of, comedy skits from people who are about to go do their Netflix specials. So you'll show up and, you know, I've had friends see Chris Rock or something. And so Chris Rock shows up and Chris Rock is often terrible, absolutely terrible because he's working through sets and it doesn't look refined and stuff. But then you watch Chris Rock on the Netflix special and it looks like he's giving the comedy stand up for the first time. And it's like the 80th time. And that is just like podcasting.
2: It reminds me of one of my first interviews. I remember I had all my notes with like questions that I was going to ask the person in front of me and we started talking. And I remember I kept looking at the notes and there was a point where he was giving an answer and I look at him, look at my notes, look at him and then just close my notebook. And I think that's the sort of dance, which is doing so much prep beforehand that you have this like list Mm -hmm. of questions. But then when you start, being able to move away from that because you trust in the moment and what you're co-creating with the guest enough that you know you'll find what to say next. Uh, one of my favorite interviewers is probably like Craig Ferguson. And you see when he, whenever he came out, he would come up with a stack of note cards and then tear them up, throw them away. And then that's when you would start interviewing. But I think it's, it's that dance. It's like de- that dance and like trust in yourself and the guest to co-create this moment together.
3: Yeah, you, you often hear people talk about how when they first start interviewing podcasts or otherwise, they'll always show up with a notepad full of questions. And it, it becomes like this thing where in the beginning, you're just kind of reading off of the notepad, but eventually you get more comfortable with yourself and your process so you can get rid of it. But I think that the the part that everybody always forgets and, and that you just hit on is that just because you don't bring the notepad doesn't mean that you don't have to do the work ahead of time.
0: So Totally. I might call this episode "Podcasters on Podcasting." Just feel uh, <laughs> artists talk about turpentine or whatever that, that quote is. I want to close by perhaps asking if you have any requests for for podcasts out there for for people out there who sort of thinking of ideas. I, I have a couple. One is I, I want to see experts explain sort of niche topics in just very accessible ways for people who who for generalists who want to get into the expert. One show I really like that I've discovered recently is a show called Contra Krugman. Which is this economist Bob Murphy and, and this other one Tom Woods? They just basically they go into Paul Krugman articles and they talk about why it's wrong, <laughs> why, why the points are wrong, and how to make it sort of uh, what, what, what's correct, what, what their answer response is, and that's sort of a fun but also very accessible, uh, simple simple take on, on on a sort of economics topic. I want to see more examples of that, and then the other is you know podcasting is uh, is, is 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 voyeuristic, right, and so. I like death, sex, and money. Uh, people who will get into topics that you, you want to overhear, you want to be in the room uh, to listen to, but you don't get to have conversations about that or, or hear them uh, all the time. So those are two requests.
3: I'm, I'm honestly not often behind the mic these days. I, I used to be quite a bit, but now I'm more on the, the production side. I get a lot of pitches from the you know, Every day we get emails about something. And more often than not, people are like kind of looking for what they can get out of the podcast as opposed to what they can give to the audience. And I think that that's the number one thing that I would like to see change. Is You have all of this hype out here about, you know, how the podcast industry is exploding and, and what's happening and how much money people are making and how exciting it is. Uh, but I think that the reason that that's happening in the bones that it's built on is because uh, so many people have put in so much work that it is really beneficial to the listener. And I think that, you know, step one, whenever you're going to put something out in the world is to figure out like, you know, what am I trying to achieve and what do I want to get back? And and what's the point? Like, what's what's a listener going to take away from the show? And, you know, I, I doubt that, you know, any of your listeners are, are, you know, coming in with the show just because they want one. But, uh, you know, that's something that I would like to see more of.
1: I say make a personal podcast, hour and a half, 15 episodes with your worldview how you work, how you think, what you believe in, what is your story, make every single minute exceptional, interesting, worth somebody's time and send it to anyone who asks for it. I think it'll be an incredible asset for you.
2: Yeah. In some sense, like I think I still think we're in the very early days of podcasting and audio as a medium. And even though most of the shows we see are interview shows, there's there's so much left to explore. I got a pitch uh, last week from someone and what they're doing was he was a Broadway theater actor. And obviously with COVID theaters closed, right? So what they're doing is they're creating a podcast, which is 15 to 20 minutes and they've got like different actors and all of these different things, which is basically almost a Broadway show in a podcast. And I just heard that. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and there's, there's so many ways this medium can be pushed forward. Um, so I would love to see people explore that.
0: Yeah, just, to, just on the early innings, there's so many opportunities for you to have a, a niche that you are one of the only people in the world who has a podcast uh, on that niche. It's still, you know, tremendous, tremendously early. I, I think that's a great place to, to wrap. My guests have been Jeff Umbro, David Perel, Sacha Gupta. Check out Sacha's So Conscious Creators. Check out David's show, North Star. Also check out Rite of Passage. Check out uh, Jeff's company, The Podglomerate. Follow all these guys on Twitter. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great episode.
3: Thanks so much.
2: Thanks, Eric yeah thank you thank you for having us
0: if you're an early stage entrepreneur we'd love to hear from you check us out at villageglobal.vc